You're listening to the You're Smarter Than Us podcast, Asheville's premier soccer podcast. Guys, welcome back to another episode of You're Smarter Than Us. I'm excited to be here with Coach Mick of the men's Asheville City team. How are you, Coach? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I've been looking forward to this, wanted to sit down and pick your brain for a while. Mick, can you tell me a little bit about your background in soccer and how you ended up um, not just in Asheville, but specifically with Asheville City. Yeah, for sure. So I started out, uh, my dad's a director of coaching back out on the eastern part of the state. And uh, sports been, it's been a part of my life since I was three. And, you know, I was actually growing up probably a better basketball player. I'm a little white guy. Uh, I made a decision in about sixth grade that time basketball crew was, <laughs> as being AAU and everything was done. Uh, and that if I really wanted to make something happen, and I needed to try follow my true passion with football. And so, Dad made a big decision and started driving me a couple hours for training each day, driving down to Wilmington four times a week, so about hour and a half, two hours, and just went off from there. And then, fortunate enough, I started and went to Greensboro College first, um, and uh, and played and started every game there. Transferred from there to Charlotte, had a few injuries, and ended up losing losing the spot there with those injuries so had a buddy best friend of mine on the side who's from Asheville he was coming back he was going to go to UNCA so it came back up here and I spent my last two years of eligibility here and fortunate enough after that was able to go overseas played a little bit injuries came back around found my way again back to Asheville when coach Mental uh, took over at UNCA and uh, and then you know graciously after a year and a half he sent me on the wake and from Wake, went to be the associate head at Wofford. And then some, somewhere along the way, Ryan picked up my name, and I was uh, really fortunate when he did. And we met, and I was really lucky that they gave me the opportunity with Asheville City and decided to move back up to Asheville full-time and, you know, be able to, to work with City and work at UNCA. It's just two, two programs and two clubs that I really love and that are kind of ingrained in me. So long story short, I went away, came back, went away, came back, and it's like Asheville's calling me, and like I'm meant to be here. Well, you said two things that really kind of jumped out at me during that. One, did your experience, you, you were in Germany, right? Yep. Fifth tier? Fourth. Fourth tier. Okay, so the fourth tier when you were there, was that a semi-professional tier? It was the first level under full, uh, semi-professional slash amateur slash 18 to 22 year olds trying to make it exactly so we've had on twitter and i actually have a podcast that's kind of in the can that's going to come out we've been having this big debate kind of about the meta conversation of amateur versus professional yeah and how in europe it seems like that is not as much of a distinction no um there there is a delineation between that we're at a certain tier in england it's like tier seven oh yeah. in germany it's tier four was it looked down upon in Germany for being in that tier? Was it? No, no. Actually, to be honest, I ended up playing in front of massive scouts from second and first Bundesliga clubs because fourth tier and the fourth division there, they, it, like I said, it's 18 to 22-year-olds, and that they come scout and look at those clubs more then they will go to the third division. Or sometimes if it's the first Bundesliga, they'll, they'll go to the fourth division more than the second. Um, and they'll go look 
for players more there because they know the youth and they know that they're getting games and everything. And so, I mean, we played against uh, the 23s uh, from Dortmund, and uh, and they're in our division. And, um, and Schalke's 23s were in our division. I mean, it was it was a lot of quality for sure and a ton of talent. And we had, you know, tons of fans. And I think the difference... I don't want to say difference, but I think what helped it stand out was the town that I was in was Braunschweig, and we had a, a massive club in Antrag Braunschweig, and they were second second Bundesliga then, um, and they had a you know 23s that were in the same division, but you know you take that out and you had a few other small clubs, but kind of where we were in the city, we were on our own little part and so that whole kind of community and neighborhood it was like a neighborhood club and they really took us over and that was how it was and that was when we went on the road as well with some of the smaller ones and you know not not the 23s from other other clubs but some of the other clubs like ourselves that were smaller it was the same way I mean I remember driving to one game we're in the middle of nowhere and farmlands and everything and all of a sudden we come across a small little town little village basically and then they've got this fourth tier professional team basically <laughs> with this nice little stadium i mean you know a couple thousand nothing crazy like just a bit smaller than memorial but they came out and they supported and um and so it's not really looked on like oh well this is amateur oh well, this is pro it's it was more just looked on um just the talent and what was being developed and what was going on there and like i said the fourth really even the fifth divisions in germany really used themselves to try and get themselves up higher get themselves either full-time contracts or trials mm -hmm. or anything that they can to to move on and uh at the same time it's promotion and row so with that they're still being able to move up still being able to go and get to the next level and and go on and get yourself to the third division and now you're you've become a full-time club now mm -hmm. you're you're looking into paying your staff more now you're looking into paying players and um you know, for us, it was a situation where, you know, I was fortunate because my best friend from Charlotte had signed with them. And uh, as I finished and got healthy, he was like, hey, we're looking for a left back um, or another guy that can play in the midfield, one of the two. And uh, I've recommended you and they liked your video. And so I, I got super lucky. It's rare. I, you get that lucky. I, I can't thank him enough for that. And um, but it was awesome. I mean, they took care of your housing, you know, sorted your transportation, food. So it's like you were a pro. You made, mm -hmm. you know, you didn't make loads of money, but at that point, you made enough to, you know, pocket some, and you're still getting to hang out, be a pro, play football, and can't complain about it. So also with your extensive experience, um, and it sounds like you went to three different colleges mm -hmm. as a player, but yep. now you've also coached at three or four. Three different ones now, yes. I'm always interested in kind of exploring the duality and the dichotomy of the college system in America versus the academy system overseas, and specifically those who kind of um, exist in both, yeah. not just as uh, coaches, but you see like so many of even Asheville City's best players, whether it be uh, Cameron or um, Jamie, or they're coming up through Division Two schools. Yep. Yeah. Why is it that there is such a European flavor in Division Two schools, whereas there's still a, kind of a connection between American players coming up just through yep. Division One schools, but then the, the dream theoretically would always be to exist in the uh, the academy system mm -hmm. overseas. Yeah, for sure. I think 
right now you're seeing some of the Division two schools, especially the Southeast, um, that are loaded with quality international players. And that comes from a few things. One, it comes from some of the university advancement side where they can uh, say you are an international well, you can get an international scholarship or an international, I don't want to say discount, but cut off of tuition. So it already drops it from, say, 20000 to now 14000 And then in this region, the highest Div- Division two teams know they need to be fully funded. And so those, those schools have done a really good job of funding their programs. And so they know, all right, well, if we're fully funded at Division two level, you've got nine scholarships. Well, you already cut with the international scholarship and now you go and you split that up and you give maybe you don't have to give a complete full but you can give 90% of a scholarship to those kids because that's the other thing where a lot of internationals they do they do need some money just like American kids but they don't at least on the American side hopefully we're we're a little prepared with it we can get loans we can do some of those things financial aid mm-hmm. the internationals aren't able to do that so I think that's where, you know, it comes into play that they come over and, you know, there's several uh, international coaches that are graduate assistants. So they're going back home during Christmas to see family, but then as well recruiting. And they're, you know, pulling in players and they've got that kind of tie to it. What is What would be the thing that would draw that international player over here as opposed to trying to make it in the academy system? Yeah, I think it's, you know, at that age, usually when most of them come, they've kind of been released uh, from their club. Or if they're playing, excuse me, if they're playing for Swansea, you know, they've probably been released. And so now it's faced with going and playing non-league football, kind of what we are talking about before, you know, seventh division, and find a career that way at 16 or 17 and not really get an education or quit playing football together and go get an education or combine the two come over to America and you know go to college and and be able to continue to play and get your education and they're starting to see too as we've all seen is that just because you're not good enough at 16 or 17 or 18 doesn't mean you're not going to be good enough at 22 or 23 and so you're starting to see a lot of international players say well there's chance and there's opportunities in America to go to play, continue to develop, continue to make sure I, I play at a high level and I continue to compete, but then get my education and have a chance to go be a pro after all of that. And so they're kind of looking at it that way. It's another chance for them. It's a second chance for them um, to keep going and to keep, you know, coming over. And then, you know, from the American side, some of our top kids or a lot of our top kids right now, uh, they're going straight pro. You know, and so a lot of the top American kids, which is fantastic for, for our national team and for our development as a as a country. So whether it's straight into you know MLS two t- two teams and you playing in the USL right now, so playing for the reserves, or it's we've seen a massive German movement with a lot of players going there or into Europe. Those top tier guys now are going there. So now your second tier guys are kind of falling into with the big boys, some of the ACCs and some of the you know, Pac-12 and the Big Ten, the bigger bigger names. And so then the mid-majors, you're starting to fall down the trickle effect, of course. And now you're looking at other lower American kids that are in there. And um, it's not always, but you're pecked down the pecking order 
you know, in your drop zone. So now you're trying to fight all these other schools for, you know, quote unquote, the third selection players when it could just be just as good, but same thing as the boys that were released internationally. They're just develop. They just need more time to develop. So now you have to actually coach. Now you actually have to really make sure you're spot on with how you're running your program, how the training sessions are, and that's why I think you're starting to see some some more of these international players creep into the Division uh, One smaller school uh, scene. They might end up transferring to a bigger school later, um, but because you've got money, it's like all right, well this kid's quite good from England and do I give him the same amount of money that I would give a kid from here but the kid from here needs more time this guy's ready to go mm-hmm. and at the end of the day it's about wins and losses and so some coaches are going that philosophy you know and if they've got the resources and the scholarships then they try to go for the quick fix and mm-hmm. so I think that's where you're starting to see an influx some of internationals um, but then there's still schools that stay strictly American or they try to you know all right it's fine I'm gonna create my niche Mm -hmm. I'm gonna create my little hole of where I get my players from and we're gonna continue to go and um, and the the last piece to all of this is unfortunately the the outlook from some of the American youth right now is that division two and division three oh it's not the same it's not as good Mm -hmm. I've got to go to a division one and so they'll pass up a limestone, a lander, a proper Division Two that's quite good, young Harris, and they'll go sit the bench at a Division One or be, you know, number thirty-two on a Division One roster and never play mm-hmm. when they can go to this Division Two or Messiah in Division Three, a Christopher Newport in Division Three that's extremely good, and they can play right away at a high level that they get a good education, but they've got this, this. I don't want to say it's an ego thing of, oh, well, I'm a Division One player, but it is kind of that, a touch. Uh, it kind of goes back to this, this debate of professional versus amateur. Yep. Even within college sports, yep. there's tiers of this is a more professionally ran amateur oh, yeah. <laughs> level than third tier, which would be the amateur of the amateurs. Yes. Um, Perception and reality definitely um, differs a lot of times. So last year was your first year as coach. Yep. And if you had to give yourself a grade, yourself, may, yep. maybe not the players, but specifically yourself, what grade would you give yourself? I'd say probably a C, if I'm being completely honest. And I actually was able to sit down with some of the staff last night, mm-hmm. and we were able to chat about it. And uh, and we're, it was funny, after the U.S. game, watch the U.S. game, and after we were talking about some stuff from last year and how, how much we had learned how much we had how much we had gone and it was the first time for a lot of us one at this level two in some of the roles we were doing and uh and I think you know in terms of what we were really trying to get after I think we were close and we were right on that cusp of being very very good but we just missed out and sometimes I think it comes from player management I think sometimes it comes from a little bit of luck um you know, I think if you look back at last year's season, for me, the game that didn't hurt us, but the game that really could have pushed us in a positive direction was Chattanooga away. When we were up a man and we had two or three chances that for whatever reason, it, it just is how football is sometimes, it just wouldn't happen on the day. Mm-hmm. And I look back and I look at those two points we dropped 
Um, and then, you know, I think for myself, first time as a head coach, I think I overthought uh, a l- the middle period where we had four games in, in eight days, and I think I overthought it a little bit on some tactics for the boys. Um, and, and they may feel different about it, but for myself, we were prepared, but it was trying to balance as well not killing their bodies trying to balance the periodization um and then once again we took a couple tough breaks at at knoxville where we absolutely hammered them and um we have one mistake in the first half we go down a goal we're up a man we we can't find the back of the net to save our lives i mean if we were on a boat we couldn't find water Mm -hmm. it was it was just one of those days again and then they grab a counter at the end um, well, to be fair also, uh, so we're talking about the Knoxville Force guys, which is no longer in the Southeast yeah. Division. And part of that, that, that's the only away game I went to last year because yeah. of the schedule, but it was 98 degrees, oh, yeah. no locker room. It was, oh, it was um, unbelievable. It, it, I've never seen anything like it, even at this level no. in terms of facilities and, and what was provided to you guys. So it's not surprising that no, it was, you didn't go play your best game. Yeah, it was game. weird. It was like we showed up and we're expecting a locker room and then they stick us outside and we're like, well, wait, <laughs> like we're, we're into this little indoor, not even indoor, it was like a, root, a turf field that yep. had a roof over it. They're like, yeah, here you go. And they stick us in the corner and like, what, what do you expect us to change? Yeah. And, uh, I mean, there are people walking around. Like, I'm not going to ask the boys just to drop and change <laughs> right there. Um, and so, I, you know, once again, looking back at it, I was quite pleased with all the effort. I was quite pleased with how they handled the situations, especially as we came on at the end of the year, you know, and we, we started to believe again. And I think that's a big thing that we're going to speak about this year, something I've already talked to a lot of the boys about, but it's about belief and um and it's about, you know, don't set your goal as, well, let's go win the conference and then let's win the region. Set our goal as, let's be as good as we can be. Let's see if we can be as good as we can be. And if we do that and we achieve that, we're going to knock out everything else. If we go out there and we look, all right, we're going to try and be as good as we can be every single day. And every day, we're going to try and make ourselves better and make each other better. And if, if we continue to take that mindset like we did at the end of the season, it's like that there's no there's nothing that's going to stop us we're going to be in a good spot did you institute any tactical changes between what gary had in place and what you came in that any of the returning players got found themselves a little frustrated yeah for sure i think you know coach hamill started to call off well and uh, great first year with what he was given and what he did and um, but they sat they sat a bit and they played a 4 5 1 and they were a straight counter, and that's all it was going to be is sit in there. And fortunate enough, I think the conference, from what I've been told at least, has gotten a bit harder from that first year, and so they were able to do that. And whereas last year was like, we're, we're not going to sit. The only game that we wanted to hold our line of confrontation a little deeper was Silverbacks and the playoffs just to start because we had just come off of Nashville and New Orleans and Greenville and it was our fourth game it was another fourth game in eight days yeah. and Atlanta had had uh, five days off like boys we, we don't have the legs mm-hmm. let's be compact if they want to keep it that far away fine then we'll, we'll start to catch them as we go through the game and um, and eventually legs wore out 
as we uh, yeah the first half of that game was yeah. phenomenal um yeah. elma missed a couple yeah, we, sitters we that had a few could... sitters exactly and I, I feel like that was our year last year yeah. we had some sitters that we missed and that that would have changed games um and so you know for us though as we went in as a staff last summer it was all right we know what we did the year before but we're going to come out and we we're going to go try out two systems a 4-3-3 and a 3-5-2 and then whatever it is we're going to do it's going to be attacking football yes we want to keep it but we're not just keeping it to keep it there's no just side to side and back for no reason it's we're keeping it to go get to goal immediately and then on the flip side defensively it's a high press as soon as they hit us bang we're going in and we're trying to win the ball as soon as they're they touch our line of confrontation it's we're pressing them and the cues of it is we're pressing and we're going to press 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 and you know you see it uh you see it at the highest levels sometimes with liverpool is a great example and even though i'm i'm a united fan i mean jurgen Klopp's absolutely brilliant and he's fantastic with how, with how he has their press but at the same time it takes a lot of time to implement and it takes a lot of time and a lot out of their bodies and i think that's something that we learned last year with how warm it was for some of those games that it just it was so difficult and so learning a new substitution pattern as well for myself and for our staff you know from the college game and from the youth game you have you've got re-entry and in the college game you can sub in the first half and you come out you can go back in in the second half um where this once you come out you're done so trying to learn a new substitution pattern too and understand when when the right moments when the feel of the game needs a change or who needs the change um and those were all massive learning points for us and things that i know we're grateful that we were able to take away from um but in terms of the tactics it was it was a lot different and it was something that some of them had to adjust to and had to try and get on board with and it took some time for sure so is does the truncated season and the heat field conditions even um you know memorial's not known as a very forgiving surface um we we did play on some nice pitches Furman's was kind of nice finley's finley's pretty top notch but does all of that play a bigger part than you had originally thought for sure i think um and it's funny you asked because it was another thing we talked about last night as a staff with some of the away games and some of the fields i mean um when we went down to georgia revs I mean, their field was maybe 64 yards wide. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and, and Greenville's this year is oh, going to be 50-something. It's it's not. It's going to be probably the same as what, what that was. Yeah. And so and we weren't expecting it. You know, you weren't. As you look at it on film, um, you, can't, mm-hmm. you can't prepare by just looking at it and say, oh, okay, well, that's smaller. Mm-hmm. You know, it looked like a decent size. It didn't look like as narrow as it was. And so having a few of those things, those moments of oh wow okay this is going to be a little bit different because we do want to keep it but there's no width mm-hmm. and there, now there's no if there's no width now everything's going to be congested centrally which means it's going to be harder to break lines and play through centrally and so now we need to change the tactics maybe it is a little bit more direct maybe maybe on the road we don't have to be as pretty as we are at home and it potentially it's just go grind it out go find a one nil result and mm-hmm. it could be a little bit more playing over the top and backing them off and looking to get in behind in the channels instead of this, you know, so-called, you know, pretty pretty football where we're passing a ton in the Man City's time. 
But if you look at the top clubs, and that's something I learned, where you look at the top clubs and even when they're on the road, they've or or they're under certain duress, they still will change up what they need to do for that moment and they'll still find different ways to win games. And so I think that was something we learned too, is like, all right, well, when we go on the road, we, we know we're going to be in this situation. Or you go to Finley, where it's massive. Finley's, mm-hmm. I love Finley. It's it's brilliant. Um, the atmosphere, the field, all of it. And the uh, only thing I wish is they would wet it so we can have a quick tempo. But uh, <laughs> but it's fantastic. I really do enjoy it there, and it's nice big space. But just some of the differences now, I mean, you go to Nashville, and that is really small. Um, and we learned that the first time there. The first time there, you look out at the scoreline, and once again, it was our second game in, in three days. But you look at the scoreline there, it's like, how did that happen? Well, well it we... didn't help that they dropped four professional oh, players for on sure. the day of the game. Oh, for <laughs> sure. That morning, and, and I, I had a little intel that it, it was probably going to happen. Uh, the night before, I got a text from, from a friend saying, hey, this is probably going to happen for your game. And I say, of course it will. Um, <laughs> and, but it was... I mean, 98 degrees, first time we were there. Like, there's no locker rooms as well. And this field was so small. And so understanding now the different surfaces, that definitely plays a massive part in what we're going to try and do and how we're going to try and play sometimes. Because uh, at the end of the day, we got to go get a result. So do you, coming into this season, with those things in mind, knowing the changing landscape, uh, Greenville potentially moving and, and having moved to yeah. a thinner football field, uh, New Orleans dropping out, yeah. so maybe we don't have that long away trip, Chattanooga making some changes, yeah. maybe not, uh, just saying this, maybe not taking the classic season as their priority yeah. this year with their professional move in the fall. Do you maintain one philosophy moving forwards, or do you, when you recruit, when, yeah. when you contact players and try to get them to come to Asheville, do you look at that kind of yearly changing landscape and knowing that we have to do this away, we've got this advantage at home, this team's going up, this team dropped out, and recruit for the season? Or do you just stick to your philosophy and we're going to impose ourselves? Yes, yeah. I think I think for myself, and a personal thing that I picked up from my dad was create your philosophy and then stick to it, but don't stick to it to where you're going to hurt your players. Um, and so as we looked at it and as we recruited for this year coming in, it was like, all right, this is our philosophy. This is how we want to play, um, and this is what we want to do. So let's have the players that can do that. But at the same time, understanding some of the environments we have to go to on the road and some of the things we have to deal with, knowing that it's not going to be the same. Like it, We're not going to be able to pass a team off the park at Nashville when it's, you know, 60 yards wide mm-hmm. um, and so it's having the ability to have good players that can adjust, that can play in a different system whether if we come in and we recruit for this certain formation and the formation is always dictated on your players so recruiting for that formation but then understanding okay well they're good enough footballers and they have good enough IQ to now change it to now flip to a different one when we need to to maximize our strengths on that day but as well as take in the surroundings of what we're dealing with and helping the club go be in a a position to go get the result and I think that was something we tried to do this year was this is our philosophy and our identity but at the same time 
there are going to be times where we've got to change it. So let's make sure that we've got players that are willing to. Um, and so that was something we spoke about with all the boys as we recruited was, all right, this is what we're trying to do. But at the same time, there are going to be days where we have to do this. Or are you okay with this? Asking their, their coaches, mm-hmm. asking people that have contacted us for them. Are they okay with some adjustments? Are they okay with having to do different things? Because if they're not, then that's going to end up hindering our overall process of what we're trying to do. And you just made an interesting um, uh, word choice there. You said their coaches. Uh, it's something that I think some Asheville City fans forget sometimes, that as much as these are blues, and, yeah. and they really, really, truly are, and we will treat them as such, they do have, um, they're beholden, and they have responsibilities and accountability to other organizations, oftentimes colleges. What is that conversation like when a player um, gets injured or a player has those responsibilities to someone else and you either have to release them or make a tough decision that if if they weren't, if if they were graduating senior Mm -hmm. and, and you knew that maybe they could risk it? What are those conversations like? Yeah, for sure. I think it's about overall... As our club, we want to make sure that we have a good reputation right now where, you know, one one day in the down the road, long time, who knows, could be years, could be a year, we, we don't know. But um, until we become a full-time club, it's we're getting, you know, on we're on this model of getting players from the college system. So making sure that we have a good reputation within the, that whole world from coaches knowing, okay, we're not going to send players to City and they're going to absolutely destroy them and run them into the ground. <laughs> that they're just going to not care at all. Yeah. Um, and they're going to get them injured, and they're going to send me back pieces of what I sent them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are some times where, you know, last year we, we had a couple boys that were feeling some things. It's like, you've, you've got to take today off it. We can't, we can't risk it for you. You're all, your, your long-term health is going to be more important. And, um, and so... It is certain conversations that we have with coaches, that we have with players, understanding, you know, all right, well, you're only a sophomore in college. You've got two more falls and then hopefully a long pro career after that and hopefully two more summers with us. So let's make sure that we take care of your body. We don't overdo it. We don't um, absolutely destroy you. And I think that was another thing we learned last year um, with some of the rotation and how to handle that, some of the different ways that we can handle that probably better. Um, once again, it comes down to player management and just having those conversations. So it is, it does make it challenging sometimes, but at the same time, um, that's part of the, that's, that's what it's about. And it's about these players. It's about making sure they're one happy, that they're comfortable, that they have a great professional environment. Because at the end of the day, as where, as we stand where we stand right now as a club, it's our job to help get these boys pro contracts. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and right now we're thankful enough. I believe we stand at five over the last two years. Um, I think I believe we had four from last year, one from the first year, um, and we want to continue to help that number. You know, you look at uh, Mississippi Brilla, uh, Des Moines Menace, Tucson, who's now a full-time club, but these clubs have massive records of pros of guys going to pro, be a pro at the next level. And the big thing that I talked with two of the three of them I talked to them about how they did it and some of their organization was we became known to take care of college players that they were in a good safe environment that they weren't going to be destroyed and that's kind of your foundation you have to build on from there 
And so that's really what we're trying to do, you know, with some of the boys that will be returning. Um, but at the same time, understanding that the guys that are older um, and the guys that we do have, how do we help every single one of them go find a pro contract if that's what they're really trying to do? And how do we at least expose them and put them in those situations to find that opportunity? And taking care of your players will always be something that finds you more success. Um, being a player's manager is something I try to strive to be. And it's just something from books I've read, people I've spoken to. It's just, especially nowadays, it's really what you you need to be. Um, and as I said before, if your players are happy, that means they're going to play better 95% of the time. It usually translates. And so as long as we can have our players happy and in good environments, well, then we'll go play better. And that means we'll get some results. <laughs> so... Over the uh, off season, the extended, extended off season, oh, yeah. um, we were lucky enough to hear the announcement of the AC Academy. Yep. And uh, a couple podcasts ago, <laughs> we dropped the very, very short interview I had with you on the open tryout. Can can we go a little bit more into that? And can you potentially explain to me how you see those what twenty twenty five young men? We'll have thirty. 30 on each roster for the men's Men and, and the, the women's, women's academy. Where where will us as fans yeah. see them, interact with them? Um, one of the, the uh, kind of scheduling quirks that I saw was that second home game against the Georgia Revolution mm-hmm. that I, I can only assume is basically they, they also have a sort of academy. It's yeah. more of a reserve. They do. They have, they've, got, they've got multiple teams for sure. Yeah. Reserve, 23s, and then they actually have a small little youth academy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm assuming that's kind of what that friendly will turn into. But where can we expect to see them on game day? Where where can yeah. we where is our exposure going to be to for them? Sure, for sure. And so what we'll have is we'll have um just like any time um the, our trainings will will be open for sure. Um and so their their trainings will be after the first teams or kind of and I shouldn't even say really after starting as we're as we're ending um and having that ability for them to see the first team just like it is in the pro environment as the pro team finishing up your academy teams are are walking out and they're seeing them and so we'll have that available we are working on on both sides to try and have a few friendlies um might not be many you know two maybe three but then as well on the men's side we do have that date Mm-hmm. Yeah, where we play Chattanooga away the next the mm-hmm. next night, and uh, and the way some of the scheduling quirks weren't went this year with New Orleans kind of bouncing out late, and uh, and the way we had to schedule some things, it just worked out that we had a home date that day, and so excuse me, we will see uh, a large amount of the academy for sure uh, at during that, and same thing from their side. Uh, but it will be a good good vibe for them. Um, the other thing, too, is you'll get to see some of the academy players uh, in April. Um, we won't have our full squad in. A lot of the boys will still be finishing finals. And so we're going to have a little bit of a mixed group between the two, uh, the academy and the first team. Is that for the Tri-Cities That game? will be for the Tri-Cities game. And, uh, and so for the men's side, we'll have – you know another mixed group with that some of the local boys that are around and once again it's not even you know just Asheville it's you know we've got some interest from a kid down in the upstate of South Carolina that's talking about wanting to come up we've got a kid uh, from 
uh, Shelby and another one that wants to come. One's playing in a DA system, you know, and wanting to come up and play. So we've got a couple different, you know, just not just Asheville. We've got kind of Western North Carolina once again, which was the big thing for our club to make sure that we're developing and continuing to grow homegrown players so we can get them into the first team, so we can have them ready to go. And, you know, it be unfortunate we're going to lose uh, two local guys to MLS academies, but at the same time um, this summer, and then we lose another one after the summer, so we'll lose three overall. But at the same time, uh, it's fantastic for them. It's a great environment, you know, for them where it's year-round and they deserve it. Um, but we've got talent here in Western North Carolina, and now we just need to refine it. And now we just need to, to kind of uh, concentrate what we're trying to do on them a little bit more and helping them guide into the direction of the first team. Uh, and so that's going to be something where we're, we're excited about and we want fans to be able to see. So like I said, we're trying to get, um, whether it's one or two or maybe even three little friendlies, for those teams to have at home and we're not sure a memorial availability if it would be able to be there or if it would be um you know jbl there's been some positive talk with jbl coming back online you guys couldn't hear it and... but my eyes almost rolled out of my head <laughs> on that <laughs> it's uh there i've actually seen it so i've, I've seen I've seen them working on it, and uh, and so it's fantastic. So maybe who knows, JBL, yeah. uh, we can we can host a game there. But we're gonna do what we can to try and get the fans exposed to to the twenties. But at the same time, having the academy and those those guys and girls that are you know under twenty and under, mm-hmm. having them in the environment, having them really experience. You know, it's about experiencing what the first team's going through. That's that's a big thing of what we're trying to do having replicated that whole mm-hmm. situation. So whatever we're whatever we can do, we're going to try and make happen. And uh and the more we can get them promoted and the more fun we can have them out there playing in front of you know in front of the fans just like you have overseas and you have here with you know the academies the 19s the 20s the You've got MLS academies. You got people, large fans going to that overseas. You got you know the U17s and U19s and U23s. I mean, mm-hmm. fans always going to that. So we're we're trying to to make sure we get that out there. But at the same time, it's all about uh, getting everything spot on and making sure that we really do a good job and we we get this first step in what we're trying to do of continuing this Western North Carolina uh, homegrown movement. Mm-hmm. and get that going and kicked off in the right direction. Well, and the way you've recruited for the first time team this offseason has, has really been kind of divergent from mm-hmm. how Gary's first team was put together, which was a lot of um, local Mars Hills contacts, mm-hmm. I'm sure. Even last year, between the returning groups and the new players that kind of got brought in, it still kind of maintained this like limestone, Lee's yep. McRae. You can almost like slap a perimeter around 100%. Western North Carolina and say, you know, 150 miles or so. That's pretty much where all of our players are coming from. But I mean, that has just been absolutely blown out. <laughs> and, and now we've got players coming in from St. Bonaventure, yep. um, some from out west. Yep. Those your contacts, or is that the reputation of Asheville City perpetuating itself forward? Yeah, it's a bit of both, to be honest. Um, Paul from from St. Bonnie's, he's actually best friends with Jennifer on the women's team, and 
that connection was made because of her and because of her speaking to him about how great the club is. And so it's a little bit of both of what we're trying to do. Um, some of the boys from out west and other areas, uh, of course, their their contacts and of myself or the staff of people we know quite quite closely and that we really trust. And I think that was a big thing this year was making sure that as we handpicked this roster of players that were coming from out of region, was getting them from people that we trusted with everything and and uh, knowing that obviously with our recruiting and being able to watch those players play and scouting as we did throughout the whole fall and we watched over probably 150 200 games um, that we narrowed it down to players that fit exactly what we're looking for the right personalities they're fun to be with um, and then at the same time it comes from the club's reputation. I know there's been a few players that it's been easy to speak with them, excuse me, because they've looked at past game film and they've looked at how awesome the Blues are and how awesome our fans are. And they've looked at what the club's done. And they just take a quick peek at the website and how organized and how fantastic that is. Um, and it, it, it makes it really easy. You're not really selling anything. You're just telling them this is how our club is. This is what we're doing, and we're young, but we're, we've got big, big, big steps of what we're trying to do and big hopes of what we're going to try and do. Um, and so it, it's that mixture, which was nice because, like I said, it, you don't have to go sell, quote-unquote, sell the dream. It's They can easily look at it, and they can see the reputation of what we have. And then at the same time, with former players on both men's and women's side speaking for it and speaking on behalf of it, and talking about how wonderful it is, it makes your job as a coach and as we're recruiting a roster, it makes it so easy. It's something that I know I talked to Cameron Saul about pretty extensively at the open tryout when he came up to visit, that especially with the international and specifically the English players, that when they come up through the um, system over there, the, the youth system specifically, that they all kind of end up getting to know each other. Yep. It's a little bit of that AAU basketball. There's so many parallels between soccer and basketball. Oh, it's kind is. of crazy. But that when they come over to the States, if they do, like you say, get released by their clubs and mm -hmm. by their academies, that they still know each other over here. And of course, they're spread out much further across the country than yep. in England, where it's a three-hour you know, tube ride or whatever. But is, is are you using that to your advantage? Is is Cameron? Oh is yeah, Elma, is, yeah. Is Brady doing any recruiting are, for us out there? They are. They are. And you know, Cam Cam's got us uh, at least one, and probably two or three. If I if I look back at my notes, I know one specifically uh, because he sent me his number, mm -hmm. um, and it was one of his teammates and everything. And he's like, look, he he'll help you guys with what we're trying to do. Um, and Brady, Brady's now coaching uh, at Dayton, and uh, and he's actually trying to send a player, and we're trying to figure out how to make it work. And if it won't happen this year, he's already talked about sending players in the future, you know. And so it, it certainly helps with having those guys there. I mean, Limestone, uh, Jamie, and, and Dom, and, and KMC, those boys were able to get another one from one of their limestone teammates that is going to come up this summer and certainly it helps that the players they reach out or that they go back to their college teams and they talk about how good their experience was mm -hmm. back again to our reputation as a club and that's where more people start to want to try and be a part of it and uh, at times it makes it difficult 
there's difficult conversations um but at the same time you'd rather have that than be begging and pleading yeah. for things and be begging and pleading to try and just put together a roster uh, but i think our boys are um and pro- i would say the same on the women's side they've helped you know like i said with one player already i would say the players are really the biggest advocate for it and they're our biggest advocate in going in the recruiting process what, what's your impression of this upcoming year uh, I like it. Uh, we're excited. We're ready for it to be here. Um, I'm a little afraid it, it might be a little bit colder this summer. Uh, the way these temperatures are working, <laughs> the way this weather's going, uh, which who knows that might be might be good for us. Uh, hoping the rain can stay away for a touch, oh, but we're we're excited. We're excited as a staff. We're excited as a club for for all four teams to get going. Um, you know the roster is is what we wanted it to be there's always obvious there's always good players and that was something uh that's always difficult to swallow there's always good players out there and at some point in time you're gonna have to say sorry the roster is done and you're gonna have to say no to good players now you just hope they they don't go to, to <laughs> any, of your, any, Greenville or any of your derby <laughs> matches or anything um but we're we're ready for it i think the schedule is a little bit more i don't want to say lenient um because oh, that's no gonna come it absolutely off. is I, I think in that's terms a of at least very like, good word in terms use. of how it's scheduled and yeah. you know it's you know not four games in eight days mm-hmm. like, you know it's still going to be difficult games for sure but we're spaced out uh we're spaced Balance out between home and away yes 100 percent. and we're not uh i think there's only once where and i could be wrong but i thought there was only once where it's you know having to play a team back to back and you know, you play them on this day, and then you play them again like four days later. I think maybe that happened once in our in our calendar, and that's something that's going to be really good for for the group. And we can get some actual development in. Uh, we can have some film days. We can have mm-hmm. a little bit of fun too. Some competition days, some Gatorade Cup days with five v five or six v six, and um, and then at the same time they can get a little time more time to rest and recover, and it's not just go go go. Um, you know, I wish wish we could find uh, a way to be home a little bit more, in terms of some friendlies and get get in front of the Blues. Obviously, that's always fun for our group, and that's something extremely special for us to be able to play in front of our fans because they are the best in the country, in my opinion. But uh, we're we're really pleased with that, so we're excited for the season. It looks it's looking really good, pretty sharp for what we're going to be going into early May. And, getting the getting the group in and then just kind of hopefully hit the ground running fantastic coach thank you so much for taking time out of your day and let's touch base maybe mid-season or so yeah please do please do i appreciate it thanks so much i guess that's why they call us the blues time on our hands could be time spent with bruce drinking like tourists yelling like drunkards Scoring some stunners will win you over. And I guess that's why they call us the blues. You've been listening to the You're Smarter Than Us podcast, a proud member of the Soccer and Sweet Tea Network. Check us out on social media at your underscore smarter or shoot us an email at you're smarter than us at gmail.com.